0: Well, as pastor tim prayed it is it is back to school time uh, many of the many of the uh, schools represented here this morning will be starting uh, this coming week and so so kids you got to get back into that routine of waking up in the morning you know at a decent time sitting through class and then and then homework right at least for the older ones maybe the homework that comes with that and parents we got to get back in the routine too of the math homework coming home and us trying to maybe give some help there, right? For, <laughs> you know, because there's times where, you know, some of the math problems that can come home, it's like, wow, I, either I just plain don't know how to do this because I don't remember or they've changed it all anyway and, and I don't have a clue what I'm doing, you know? At, uh there comes a point where our kids, when they're going through school and increasing in their learning that that the math problems change from something that makes sense to us into something that's just confusing just you know i don't know right like and we we probably shouldn't be surprised by that kindergartners right the first couple of years our kids learn adding subtracting easy enough right we can get that and then and then multiplication and division okay you know it's still still making sense. And then, and then, you know, and then comes along, uh, let's see, fractions, equations, right? Geometry gets thrown in there, formulas. And then, and then finally, for, for those who so choose, the pinnacle of high school math is calculus, right? Now, if I, if I were to take uh, my daughter Melanie's math book from kindergarten last year and set it next to a high school calculus book. They might seem about as different as fire and water, right? Looking at those two things. You know, in the kindergarten math book, things work together nicely. The the answer is usually quickly discernible. In the calculus book, I might recognize numbers and letters and symbols and things like that, but, but the ways in which they are used create a complex situation that that just might make us want to give up. <laughs> like, I just don't have a clue, right? Now, now, even though I long for the simplicity of kindergarten math, I do recognize that math in the real world is a bit more complex than just 1 plus 1 equals 2, right? I think we understand that. You know, as far as I know, the, the foundational concept, one plus one equals two, that, that remains true all throughout the journey of advancing in math, okay? But, but to tackle the difficult problems in the world and, and find a good solution, we need more than that, right? We need more than just one plus one equals two. Now, can I, can I suggest, and, and, and this isn't a perfect comparison, um, but I think there's something to be gained when, when considering the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in the Bible along similar lines, is what I was just describing. So, so the book of Proverbs is, is filled with short, memorable statements of truth. Statements, uh, for example, like, like Proverbs 10.9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Or 1215, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Or chapter 25, verse 16, if you have found honey, eat only enough for you lest you have your fill of it and vomit. Now those those are simple truths talking about integrity, humility, contentment for the last one there. Quite often the statements in Proverbs amount to something like if you do this, then that will happen, okay? And those statements usually make sense to us, right? And, and they're, they're often a good place to begin when we are starting our discipleship journey in Jesus. Now, now don't get me wrong. We're never, we never grow out of Proverbs. We never mature to the point where, where we don't need to contemplate the truths of the book of Proverbs. Due to its simplicity, Proverbs is, a, is, is very helpful from the early stages of our discipleship. But if a person only reads Proverbs, they might be as surprised as a kindergartner would be going out into the real world and discovering that one plus one equals two isn't enough to solve the problem of building a bridge over the river, right? You you need some more than that. The book of Proverbs gives us foundational truths that, that remain true all throughout life, but the next book in the Bible, then, the book of Ecclesiastes, seeks to address situations that are more complex than can maybe be answered with a, a single short proverb. So, so while Proverbs is, is a great place to begin a discipleship journey, Ecclesiastes is, is a great place to go when we're on that journey and we find ourselves confused by the complexities of life. And so it's, it's there that we're going to be spending our time this morning, the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, now, the bulk of the chapters in Proverbs and all of Ecclesiastes is attributed to King Solomon. So uh, when we read these two books of wisdom, we do well to remember that they not only have the same divine author, but they have the same human author as well. So these are not two books that are contradicting each other. Rather, they are, they are two books that together explore the relationship between simplicity and complexity of reality. So, so with all that being said, let's go ahead and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, in, the, in the Pew Bibles, it's page 553. And I want you to just imagine that, that, imagine that you've just read through the book of Proverbs and, and you're feeling good about all the wisdom that you've taken in from that book, okay? And then imagine that, so imagine we finish the book of Proverbs, and then we turn to the next page in our Bibles, the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is what we read right at the very beginning, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity now and I grew up reading the the new international version of the bible so the word i hear when i read that is is meaningless right everything is meaningless isn't that a nice reassurance when compared to the statements found in the book of proverbs you know you go through all those and then solomon says vanity meaninglessness now now the hebrew word being used there is, is this word habel. And, and habel uh, is a word which speaks of something like a breath, or a mist, or, or a vapor. It, it, it's referring to something which is present and visible for a second, but then the next moment, it's elusive. So we can think of uh, uh, winter when we go outside and it's cold and we breathe and you can see your breath and it's there, just for that moment right and then the next moment it's gone and you don't see it anymore that that's the type of thing that the 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 idea that solomon has in mind as he writes this word vanity meaninglessness it's habel it's here for a second and then and then it's gone right after that so what solomon is doing is he's recognizing that that the simple ordered way in which we think things ought to play out isn't always the case we might come through Proverbs and feel like we've got a grasp on things and that everything makes sense. We might be in that spot in life where everything seems to be working, and then the next moment, it's gone. It doesn't make sense anymore. Something, there's a complexity of life that that kind of turns it on its head. What Solomon does in, in this book is he, he highlights quite a few things, and, and most of which aren't bad things, but things which in and of themselves don't remove the complexities of life. They're things which, if they become the ultimate thing for us, we'll, we'll find them to be lacking, we'll find them to be elusive. They, they are as stable and lasting as a vapor, as Solomon describes them. So, so let's just take a moment to observe the things that Solomon highlights. We'll just kind of uh, work our way through the book um, um, in order. So at the end of chapter one, Solomon speaks of the vanity of pursuing wisdom. Again, what an ironic statement in light of the book that's right before it. <laughs> Proverbs, right? And, and what an ironic statement in light of the fact that Ecclesiastes itself is a book of wisdom, but what Solomon is saying isn't that wisdom is worthless. What he's saying is that the pursuit of wisdom can be a vanity, can be, can be that vapor that's here and then gone. Solomon was the wisest man of his day, maybe the wisest man in all history apart from Jesus. And yet, we look at verse 18, and what does Solomon say that he gained from all his learning? Vexation and sorrow is the wisest, one of the wisest men of history. And he says, all of that, man, I'm still confused and I'm sad about it. No matter how wise we become, there's always going to be things that don't make sense to us. We won't understand everything. And it probably shouldn't surprise us since we are mere humans and God's ways are far above our own. Wisdom is a good thing, but if it becomes the end all then it's going to fall short of our expectations because we'll find out that, that we still won't understand everything. At the beginning of chapter two, Solomon moves on to speaking about the vanity of pursuing pleasure. So along with being one of the wisest people of his time, uh, being the wisest person of his time, many think he was the richest as well. And he utilized those riches and he sought pleasure in things like food and drink and Projects, houses, pools, gardens, slaves, flocks, herds, precious treasures, concubines. he lists all of these things here, and it it seems that maybe for a moment his heart found some pleasure in those things, but then upon further reflection, that pleasure proved to be a vanity. it, it was a mist, it was gone, and we, we can we can relate to that right aren't there aren't there times in our lives where we are pursuing pleasure through possessions of some kind? And do we seek in them what they cannot truly deliver? Doesn't any pleasure which we seem to attain prove instead to be fleeting, prove to be this mist, that it's gone in an instant? So Solomon talks about that. Further on in chapter 2, starting in verse 12, Solomon turns his attention to applying the wisdom that he possessed. So he already stated wisdom in and of itself didn't fulfill, but but what about living according to that wisdom? What if that wisdom is put to use? Well, he, he sought to live wisely, but then came to the realization that the wise person and the fool both meet the same end, physical death. Because Solomon would die right along with the fool, he wondered about the reason for living wisely. Wouldn't it be better, less tiresome to just live however he felt according to his, his passions and desires? Right? Any, any benefit of living wisely in this life seems to be like a mist, striving after the wind. You know as, as we 're going through entire books in one sermon this uh, this summer there 's great benefit to covering Ecclesiastes in one book because there 's a lot of passages in this book that if we if we take them out of the context of the whole and and didn 't come to a proper conclusion, it would leave us feeling very lost and discouraged and, and maybe you 're sensing some of that now as we 're going through all this, but let's let's stick with Solomon. He'll he'll leave us with hope and clarity at the end as we we get there. But but first, as we continue, chapter 2, verse 18, uh, Solomon talks about the vanity of work. It says a person can have a, a really good work ethic and put all this time and energy and passion into their task, but then that old equalizer, death, comes along, and the product of that work is passed on to somebody else. And Solomon says, who knows whether that person is going to be wise or or be a fool? He goes on in chapter 3, verse 16. He says, there's vanity in discerning eternity for mankind. Solomon wonders if we are any different from the beasts of the earth. He, he, He can't seem to prove with certainty that our spirits live beyond our physical bodies. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says there's vanity in pursuing justice. We, we might strive for justice, but, but our world is filled with oppression. There are many who are afflicted at the hands of the unjust, and so Solomon says it's vanity. <clears throat> Chapter 4, verse 4, there's vanity in working for yourself. A, a person who tries to isolate themselves and keep everything that they earn for themselves will, will find true fulfillment elusive, because that type of life leads to being alone. So Solomon says there's vanity in that. Chapter four, verse 13, there's vanity in striving to be esteemed in this life. I came across a a quote by the actor Jim Carrey. He said, I think everybody should should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. I think that's what Solomon is is saying here, right? We can be esteemed as much as we want to be, but there's there's vanity in that. It's it's fleeting. It's elusive. Uh, in the middle part of chapter five, in all of chapter six, Solomon speaks about the vanity in pursuing more. No matter how much stuff a person accumulates, there's there's always someone who has more, or there's always more to be had. And, and, and even, even when you gain more, again, that great equalizer comes along and suddenly it's all left for someone else. Solomon says it's a vanity. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 9, Solomon speaks of the vanity of seeking to avoid death. So if death is this great equalizer, then, then perhaps there's lasting value in cheating death. But alas, too, Solomon finds out that that proves to be elusive. And then at the end of chapter 9 and in the beginning of chapter 10, Solomon seeks fulfillment in control. You know, all of this vanity seems to stem from a lack of control, things outside of what he can control. So, so if, if Solomon could perhaps gain that control, then, then he might find the fulfillment that he seeks. But, but alas, there's, there's this thing which Solomon calls chance, which impacts the situation and, and it's not really chance but he phrases it that way based on based on appearances the more we seek to grasp control and impose our will the more we realize that we can't and then toward the end of the book in chapter 12 verse 8 after saying all of this solomon returns to where he started 12 8 says vanity of vanities says the preacher all is vanity so it begins and it almost ends right there now listening to all of Solomon's observations is maybe enough to make make us wonder what's the point (laughs) what is the point many of the things which Solomon spoke about are not bad things wisdom pleasure work justice esteem those are not evil sinful things but if even those good things in this life are fleeting they're that vapor that's here, and then it's gone. Solomon says, what, what, what's the point? If fulfillment can't come through those good things, then from where can it come? Is there any hope? Now, in fairness, I've, I've only spoken about those things so far that Solomon referred to as vanities. I, I, I skipped over the passages that are intermixed into the book, where where Solomon does recognize that that in the midst of a world where, where justice isn't always seen, where, where physical death touches all, where pleasures can vanish quickly, that there is goodness. So so, just to highlight a few of those, at the end of chapter two, after just speaking about the vanity of work, Solomon states that there is goodness in eating and drinking and finding enjoyment in work. He says, the outcome of our labor might be enjoyed by another person, but if we find if we find God-given joy in our labor itself, he says, well, there's, there's some goodness in that. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 1, Solomon speaks of the value of fearing God. So rather than lashing out verbally and being quick to speak, he sees goodness in the fear of God, which, which shows itself in quiet humility before him. It's good to draw near to God and listen to him. He goes on in chapter 8, and We see the value of obedience, obedience both to those in authority, human authorities, and to God. Even though we might not understand the ways of those in authority, and, and especially though we might not understand the ways of God, there's goodness in still being obedient, Solomon states. Now, now there's a caveat about rightly disobeying human authorities when they command us to do evil. Right In those situations, we obey the authority of God over that of the authority of humans. But there's those other times where we don't want to obey human authorities simply out of pride or our own comfort or, or convenience that Solomon seems to say we ought to find some goodness in obedience anyway. And, and even more so when it comes to God, Solomon states that a wise man might claim to know God's ways, but, but he does not not in all their fullness, but even so, there's, there's goodness and there's value in obedience to God. And then as as Solomon approaches the end of the book, his the, the statements of value, where he sees value, increase. So in chapter nine, verses seven through 10, Solomon highlights the goodness of eating, drinking, working, loving. Um, chapter, the last half of chapter 10 talks about the value in seeking wisdom over folly. Chapter 11 talks about the value of living with an eye toward what is to come, what is promised, what is ahead. The beginning of chapter 12 talks about the value of looking to God. So I, I didn't go through and try to figure out the percentages, but there's a little bit more of vanity what Solomon uh, talks about things that he considers vanity, but there is, there is things that he sees as good in the midst of that as well. And I think what Solomon is doing in this book is recognizing the tension that exists in, in the complexities of life. In the midst of an existence where, where so many things are fleeting and, and a mere breath, that that is true, but, but there's still some goodness to be found There's there's things in this life that won't prove to be a vapor, that that they do have lasting value, Solomon finds. The problem for Solomon, the problem for people in his day, the problem for us today as well, is that in the complexity of life, we have an incomplete understanding of what will last and what will vanish. We can't always know that, can we? So, for example, one person might work hard all their life in order to, to pass an inheritance on to their children, and then that person might die suddenly before their will is completed, and, and all of that is just dispersed in a different way than they had in mind. You know, poof, vanity, right? Like in an instant, it's gone. And you might have another person over here that works hard all their life with a desire to pass an inheritance on to their children and then they live a long life and, and their will is completed and it's passed on to their children as a blessing. And there's value, right? Two people pursuing the same things, but for one, it's a vanity. For one, there ends up being value. Or, or we think about wisdom. One person might strive hard to increase in the wisdom of God. And then when a difficult situation comes up, they share that wisdom only to have it rejected right? Poof, vanity. Like, what's the point? They have all this wisdom, but it's not received. But then you have another person who might strive after the wisdom of God, and then a difficult situation comes up, and they share that wisdom, and and it's received, and it proves a blessing for the parties involved, and there's value then, right? But the question is, how, how do we know, right? How do we know which one is, is going to come to fruition. If, if only we could know exactly what the future holds, we'd be able to know if something is going to be a vanity or if it's going to prove valuable. But is that possible? Can we know exactly what's going to happen and when? We probably know the answer to that question, right? But, but look with me, anyway, at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm going to read the first eight verses for us, so follow along there. Chapter 3, verse 1, Solomon writes and says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. Now, if you're my age or older, you might have that song by the birds from the 60s bouncing around, and you're not the only one, huh? So I think the temptation is to read those verses and hear in them a description of human life, right? Sometimes we're born, sometimes we die, we weep, we laugh, we love, we hate. But, but what Solomon is highlighting is, is not mankind's work in the world, but God's work which is accomplished through the various seasons of life. It's what God is doing in all these times. Look at, look at, Listen to how Solomon continues in chapter 3, in verse 9. He says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time, right? Referencing back to the... A couple dozen times he used the word time in those those, those first verses, right? He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. God is at work in our world, is what Solomon is saying. And because He is at work, Not only do we not know the details of our future, we can't control our future either. Nothing can be added to what God does. Nothing can be taken away, as Solomon says. And we see this in other places in Scripture as well. Paul asks the question in Romans chapter 11, who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? As God says in Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways, Solomon is recognizing that truth as he writes this. So, so to sum all of that up, we, we live in a complex world where things don't always happen as we expect them to or want them to. A person might be in possession of, of good things, food, work, but then suddenly it's all taken from them. Another person might live an evil life, and still meet the same end as the one who lived according to wisdom, physical death. And because we don't know the future, we can't predict ahead of time how things are going to work out for us. And because God is in charge and we are not, we can't force a specific outcome to be our reality. So if that's the state of things in this world and in our life, Do we see why Solomon says, well, it's it's all a vanity. (laughs) It's all fleeting. It's all a mist. Does anything that we think or say or do have lasting value? The good answer is yes. Yes. Things might appear as vanity in this life. Things might vanish like a a vapor from our eyes here, but they will be seen again. And that's how Solomon ends. So turn with me to chapter 12. Again, the end of the book is so important because Solomon ties this all together. So chapter 12, verse 14, this is what Solomon says. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the good things done or received in this life may seem like they disappear in an instant, gone forever. The bad things done or received in this life might seem like they get blessed or or ignored, never to be given justice. Solomon's reminder is, is the promise from God that when he returns, all things will be brought into the light They will not have vanished forever, but will be seen again. Maybe they vanished from this life. They vanished from our perception here and now, but they will be brought to light again. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, when Jesus comes again, he's going to bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. I mean, that that presupposes that there are things that that are hidden, that that have vanished, they're gone but it will be brought to light when Jesus returns. Those in Christ will be commended by God for the good they've done in his strength and by his wisdom. So maybe it vanishes here, but it's not gone forever. Those apart from Christ will be judged by God for the evil they've done in rejection of him. So it might seem like justice isn't given here, but there will be justice when he returns. So no, no matter how, no matter how complex or confusing our current situation, that's the simple ending that Solomon reminds us of. We may not understand now, but he, he says what he implies is we will understand then. The time will come when when God will bring every deed into judgment. So so. If we can use the words of Francis Schaeffer, how should we then live, right? If, if, if that's the reality in which we find ourselves, how should we then live? I think the, the verse right before that, chapter 12, verse 13, gives it to us. It says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. So in light of everything he's just written, here's what he says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Our whole duty in the midst of an existence where we don't know the future, can't control the outcome and don't have a complete understanding of God's ways is to fear him and keep his commandments. That's what we're called to. We, We fear God. We give him praise and honor and reverence because he's God and we're not. We fear him and because his wisdom and his ways are above our own, we keep his commandments. Even when we don't understand them, we keep them because we trust him. Solomon says that that is our whole duty. For, and, and, and for all the complexities explored in the book of Ecclesiastes, it, it really ends with such a simple summary, doesn't it? Fear God, keep his commands. And what I love is that it is the exact same summary that Solomon gave at the beginning of the book of Proverbs. So let me just read Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. In his opening statements, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the simple truth that we find at the beginning of Proverbs holds true to the end of Ecclesiastes. It's still there. No matter how complex or how simple, it's, it's, you know, fear God, keep his commands. Whether, whether we find ourselves learning simple truths about God or, or wrestling with these incredible complexities, our calling and our duties, it's the same. Fear God, keep his commands. As his sons and daughters who've, who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we can rest securely knowing that God will bring every deed into judgment at the last day. And in the meantime, before that last day arrives, as we await the second coming of Jesus, Solomon says, fear God, keep his commands. We can can find ourselves in some very complex situations, can't we? Situations where we may just throw our hands up, you know, as confused as a calculus book would make us. Like, God, I just don't know what to do. Fear God and keep his commands is that central truth that we must continue to hold to. And again, it may not bring complete understanding every time. Right? I think, think Solomon reveals that. Like there, there, there's, still, there's still confusion that, that we can have. But our calling in that doesn't change. Fearing God, keeping his commands will lead us on the straight path to eternal value rather than temporary vanity. And we'll have to wait till eternity, right? Eternal value. It's when Jesus comes again that those things will be shown for the value that they are. But we can rest in that because Jesus is coming again. Okay, we don't always know the details of our future. We do know that. (laughs) Jesus is coming again and he will bring everything to light. And so we can rest in that and find our purpose and find our direction. Would you stand with me? Let's let's come before God and give him praise. Give him the worship that he deserves and and commit ourselves to him as we walk through this life. So let's pray together. God, I, I first thank you for a book like Ecclesiastes, one that does not shy away from from complexity does not shy away from difficult questions and situations thank you for the example that that sets for me and for all of us that we can lean into those things and we can ask you about them we don't we don't have to be scared of it and god i i i I praise you that you are the one in control bringing about your purposes and I pray for me and for all of us that we would rest in that, that we, that we would remember our duty to fear you, worship you, honor you, and follow the commands that you've given to us, and that in doing that, we know that you are, you are working, and if something vanishes from our vision here in this life, we can know that you're coming and that, that all those things will be revealed. I praise you for that. God, help us, to, help us to have that vision, to not forget what lies ahead. God, as we go through this week, as we go through this day, maybe we might be confronted with, with one of these complexities in life. Help us to remember your words through Solomon. Bring them to our mind that they would guide us God, we praise you this morning. We thank you for your love. We Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your justice. And We thank you that you are faithful, that the things that you tell us will happen, the promises you make, that those will be fulfilled. We give you praise for that this morning, and we pray in your name. Amen.